and ask uh, Christopher to come and read from John. This reading is from John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples, after he was raised from the dead. just going to pray for Graham as he, uh, as he brings the word. Father God, thank you for Graham and thank you for his, his hard work and his service. And we just ask, Lord, that you may bless the, work that, the word that he's prepared. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what he has to say. And give him joy as he, uh, as he preaches. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Managed to turn the microphone on, that's a good start. Well, it's really lovely to be here, and, and it's already been shared. I'm a regional minister of the Eastern Baptist Association, uh, and my time as a regional minister is coming to an end. I'm finishing uh, the 10th of October, is my last day here in the EBA, and I'm moving back into local ministry in Trowbridge in Wiltshire. And uh, it's all kind of interesting what you shared earlier about being bold and trusting in God and you know, 
to see change. And, and it's strange, if you'd have asked me, where are we now, September? If you'd have asked me back in April how long I was going to be living here in the EBA ministry, I'd have said, oh, probably forever. Well, but not forever, because we don't live forever, do we? We're not here anyway. Uh, or perhaps heaven is Essex, I don't know. Anyway, there's a sermon for another time. Whoever's preaching next week can explain that to you. But, um, you know, this is where I'm going to be. And then a variety of things happened that just left me really, oh, I wonder if God's calling me to move on. Uh, and long story short, I went into the Baptist settlement system. And anybody who knows anything about the Baptist settlement system knows it's the closest thing to hell on earth. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't move very quickly because it's a churchy thing, isn't it? Churches, apart from cool, cool, get that. Uh, churches like this go off to work very quickly. And so there was a sense of maybe thinking back in April, this is now coming into May, it could be that God is calling me to move. But my daughter, Amy, who some of you have met, have been here before, she was on the video actually, film star Amy, um, uh, was starting her GCSE. So if I was going to move, uh, this is in May, I would need to have moved house so my daughter can start school in September. And again, if you know anything about the Baptist settlement system, it's just not possible. Just can't, it can't work that quickly. And yet here I am. <laughs> well, I'm here, there, there. So the family, uh, most of the family moved down to Trowbridge in August. Uh, I'm back living the bachelor life nearly with my oldest daughter at home. I've got an 18-year-old. Uh, daughter who's autistic and she has some called fetal alcohol syndrome so she's basically brain damaged and so she can be quite violent sometimes so it's interesting uh, working and looking after her uh, and managing the house and trying to tidy it up and manage she's about to move into a supportive living placement where she'll go and she'll live in a little flat and she'll have a carer and uh, trying to sort out all her stuff and her benefits and just say, at the moment, I feel like I'm, actually that, that um, game was just perfect. I just feel like I'm being pulled in so many different directions. So if I start to ramble midway through the sermon, just do feel free just to say, get on with it, put yourself together. So because uh, there's all sorts of things in my head at the moment. So prayers are appreciated. Our plan was, the family was moving in mid-August and some of my oldest daughter was due to move to a flat a week or so after that, and I'd be splitting my time between Trowbridge and here and being with the rest of the family. And, and it's just been, um, I'm just going to sound like we're, I'm incredibly ungrateful, I'm really not. It's just been her flat just kept getting pushed back and back and back. So uh, so it meant that we've not, my poor wife, or perhaps she, she's been blessed with this experience, I don't know, has had to be without me for four or five weeks, and uh, my youngest daughter. Uh, Amy, but uh, yes, yeah, so it's been a very strange time, and it's always strange going around and saying goodbyes to people because it's not like a normal work for me. When I've left churches before, you do all your goodbyes in kind of one hit, uh, and whereas I'm doing a bit of this and a bit of that, and I'm over here and I'm over there, and so it's a bit. Uh, it's like it's like going to your funeral in a never-ending way, where people say nice things about you, and you get to hear them. So it's probably better uh, than a funeral. But anyway, there you say enough rambling. Let's uh, get on there. So I wanted to reflect on the Bible passage that we heard read. Um, and I wanted to particularly think, uh, if I turn this on, it would help, wouldn't it? There we are. I wanted to reflect on the theme of uh, following. <coughs> following. Who are we following? And particularly, um, if, if, if you're like me and you don't cope well with lots of words, um, just remember the game we played earlier. That's going to help you as we... Uh, work our way through. So a lot of people say to me, 
I wish I could have been on the earth when Jesus was on the earth. And you know, that sounds like the right thing to say, doesn't it? And, and it's true, and don't get me wrong, because I'm about to say something that's going to sound like I'm going to contradict that. I'm not. It would have been amazing. But it would have also been incredibly stressful. Can you imagine? There's the disciples, they're with Jesus. What is he going to do next? What, we, we've, got, we've got this, haven't we? We know. We know how it all works now. And can you imagine? They go to Jesus one day, and they say, look at all these people, these thousands of people. And they think we need to send them to get something to eat. That's brilliant, isn't it? And they're expecting Jesus to pat them on the back and say, what nice kind of disciples you are. But what does he say to them? You, well, why don't you feed them? It's not what they wanted to hear, was it? Not what they wanted to hear. And thankfully, they came up with the right answer, which is, well, we can't. That's, that's your department. You are Jesus. You are Lord. And sometimes I think the disciples, well, I once heard a speaker say, the disciples were dazed and confused, wondering what was going to happen next. And sometimes I wonder why my Christian experience isn't more like that. And actually, if we're going to pray prayers in the way we've been encouraged to pray, there will come times where we should be dazed and confused, wondering what God is going to do next, and he leads us into great things. So as we think about... Um, what have I done? Is that not working? That one? If you, if you just tap it for me, because it may have kind of lost its focus. Here we go, let's try that. Yeah. yeah, it just lost its focus. It should be good now. So I don't know if you ever as a child, or perhaps you still play it today, play Follow the Leader. It's great, isn't it? Follow the Leader. As long as the person doesn't say, right, I'm running a marathon now. Or we're going to do a Joe Wicks routine uh, and fast forward. But, you know, Follow the Leader's great as long as it's sensible. I'm thinking about following these geese. They amaze me. I mean, how, how do they know to fly like that? Do they go to goose school uh, and, and learn how to fly in that V formation? Can you imagine? Because we, we have, like, pilots, and we, we teach them how to fly the plane. They know how to the mechanics of flying the plane. But then you teach them to fly in formation. It's very complicated, flying in formation. But somehow they just know. And I love this sense of they follow. They follow, and they fly in this V formation because it means that those that are at the back Oh, the ones at the front are taking the pressure. They're taking the resistance. And so what do they do? They rotate in and out. Again, how do they do that? How do they know? Where? There's no timer, is there? It's not like someone's got their iPad out and set up a, oh, hang on, it's your turn, Bert. There you go, they swap around. Just somewhere they just switch in and out. It's amazing. And they rotate. Different ones take the lead at different times. Different ones take the pressure to protect the tired and the weary. And if you ever want a picture of what church is and should be, I think that is it. It's really quite profound when you start thinking about it. And then you get this lady and you get all these little geese who obviously haven't been to goose school yet because they're walking and not flying. And you look at this picture and you think, well, surely in that little bag that she's carrying there is food. Do you know what I mean? Why are they following her? What is going on here? But, of course, there's more to this picture. And they've been rounded up. And here's a question for you. Is being led by the Spirit more like the first picture without the dog or more like the second picture? Does the Holy Spirit say to us, come on, come if you like, come and you'll be blessed? Or are there times when the Holy Spirit is corralling us and rounding us up? And get, you know, coming and nipping at our heels. I mean that in a very nice, loving way, not in a vicious way. 
actually trying to keep us in line? Interesting question. The answer is probably both, but it's just an interesting reflection, because sometimes we have a very sentimental idea of what it means for God to lead us. And God leads us in all sorts of ways. And of course, what are we going to do if we're following Jesus and we're in an aeroplane? And he says, come and follow me, and leaps out. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do, because I'm terrified of heights. What am I going to do? My first thought might be, I wonder if he's wearing a parachute, because you never know with Jesus, do you? But then what, what do I do? Because he's my Lord, and he said, come and follow me. But he's done something that's made me deeply uncomfortable. He's done something that leaves me terrified. And again, as I reflect on my Christian experience, I think there must be times when God stretches us and we feel something like that. When God is saying to us, can you speak to your friend about me? Can you do this for me? Can you go and tell this non-Christian that you're praying for them? I remember once uh, one of my... Um, uh, this is years ago now, my uh, son's school teacher had a bad back. And she, she was a Christian. But I remember I was in the classroom. Sure, my son had done something very naughty. That was just normal behaviour. I can't remember why I was in the classroom. It must have been because I was apologising for something. And um, she said, oh, my back is just killing me. I just felt God say to me, if you pray for her, I'll heal her. Now, I knew she wouldn't mind that. Well, because A, you know what's about bad, but B, she was a Christian. So that would have been very normal. But what I was also aware of, this is like seconds before the bell, that any minute a load of people are going to come into the classroom. So what did I think I should do? Well, the thing I thought I should do was just get out of there really quick. <laughs> but I thank the Lord that I just said to her, and, and incidentally, I didn't say to her, I'm going to pray for you and God will heal you, because I don't think you'd ever say that to anyone, however certain you are, because he either will or he won't. Do you know what I mean? That's, so I didn't say that. I said to her, can I just pray for your back really quickly? She said, that'd be lovely. And I just said, and I said, can I put my hand on your back? Yes. I just put my hand on her back and just said, may the Lord heal you. And I was ready to get out of there. Not in a, oh no, it hasn't worked. And she was like, what have you done? Amazing. It's interesting, isn't it? In that moment, thinking, I can't pray for someone in a school when a whole load of people are about to come in. You're going to say, what are you doing in my view? your hand on my teacher's back? It just doesn't, it's not good look, is it? But instead, I kind of stepped out of that. Well, I need to trust God and what he believes he's saying in these circumstances. And it's strange when you feel that God's speaking to you. When we were out praying earlier, I didn't share this with anyone earlier, because it's just too wacky. The phrase went through my mind, past the duchy on the left-hand side. I'm not going to sing it to you. And we might come back to that later. But I hope that unless someone's about to say, oh, my goodness, that's for me. Uh, we'll come back to that later, and that's all good. But I thought, and I'm usually, if I felt something go through my mind like that, I would say to people, I sat and I thought, I'm not going to get as far as the sermon if I come out of that one in the prayer time. That's just bonkers. But I'll share what I think it means later on. But it's strange when something happens that doesn't make sense to us. So coming back to the Bible passage, the disciples uh, are fishing, and uh, it had been a hard day's night, and they've been working like fishermen. And uh, they must have been exhausted, and perhaps they looked like this. They were just completely had it. They caught nothing. They were discouraged. And this was before the days of supermarkets and bicycles, so they hadn't even dredged up a shopping trolley uh, or, or anything like that from in the water. They were just completely miserable. They were going home. They were exhausted. They were fed up. And it astonishes me. It genuinely astonishes me 
that this Bible passage doesn't go something like this as they come into shore, just completely at it. And this person on the shore, and they don't know who it is, says, have you caught anything? No! <laughs> and that's the polite version. There may have been other words, we don't know. No! Why don't you go back out and put your net on the other side? And it amazes me it didn't end with, no! What difference is that going to make? It's not like all the fish were hiding on the other side of the boat, kind of looking out and saying, it's okay, the net's on the other side. It's not going to make the blowingest bit of difference, is it? But there was something within this that made the disciples obey. In the different voices they were hearing, the voice of failure, we are such pathetic fishermen. What were we thinking, coming fishing? This is awful. The voice of exhaustion, I'm just so tired, I've had enough, I'm ready to give up. All these voices in their head and the voice of this stranger saying, put your net on the other side. But we just tidied it up. Somehow, whatever it is, that spark of faith, and they go to put their net uh, on the other side. They felt tired. They felt frustrated. Tired and frustrated. And ultimately, what's really interesting about this Bible passage is they were doing what had worked really well before. So the disciples who were fishermen, they knew how to fish. And so for them to catch nothing was just very strange. Why is this thing that we're trying, that always, always works, why does it not work anymore? And that's really at, at the nub of what I want to share with you this morning. I just wonder if this is a time in the life of our nation and our country and our area and our churches, where God is saying to us, as his people, are you tired? Are you tired? And do you feel like the things that you're trying, the things that you've always done, the things that have always worked, just aren't working in the way they used to? And one of the things that I reflect on is the fact that we're, we're doing churches, you know, I've been a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, obviously. Uh, but I've been a Christian uh, for a little while. But broadly, the way we do church today is pretty much the same as when I became a Christian in the 1980s. But when you think of what life was like in the 1980s and what it's like today, it's just massively different, isn't it? We went to a holiday cottage a few years ago and it had a VHS recorder. Can you imagine that? And the kids were like, what's this? And we said, oh, you put a tape in it, it shows you a movie. They're like, oh, wow, brilliant. We watch a movie, watch the movie. And then my, my daughter looked at me and said, can we watch it again? Yeah, I said, I'll rewind it. Rewind. And about three seconds later, she said, can we watch it again? I said, the tape's rewinding. Yeah, but can we watch it again? And she, she had no concept of having to wait for a tape to remind it. Everything in instant. It's interesting, isn't it? And you reflect on society and how it works. And, and we used to, back in back in the 80s, we had these things called telephones, didn't they? We had to go like that to make them work. But we, you know, we could talk to one another. But this idea of communication and say, if our way of thinking of church is all in a building. We need to be in the same place. And I think that's really important, don't get me wrong. But actually, there's so many different ways we can connect now. How, how can we lean into some of those things? But how do we do so in a way that we know it's God's leading and not as just trying to be cool or clever or gimmicky? 
The disciples were doing what they'd done before and it was no longer working. And one of the things that we know, and this is a fact, um, and you can disagree with me if you like, but I don't know how, it's just a fact, is that most people in Great Britain today do not want to be in church on a Sunday morning. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's just we just know that's true. You know, a lot of people do go to church, most people don't. And one of the things I've realised in recent years is for all my life of ministry, my efforts to get people to become Christians have been why don't you come to my church on a Sunday morning? So what have I done? What has dawned on me is I've placed a barrier. So I'm trying to get them to do what they don't want to do so they can meet Jesus. And it dawned on me recently, actually, it'd be better to get them to know Jesus first. And of course you say come to our church. And you, I'm not, nothing I'm saying is saying we should, shouldn't meet on a Sunday morning. That's not my point. I'm talking about the people who are out there and how we connect with them. How, how are we going to think differently? How are we going to connect with people? How are we going to think about how we reach out? When, how can we go back to the New Testament? I mean, what is God calling us? What is church and what should it be like? And one of the things that's dawned on me over time is that we think of church, we think of buildings and we think of gatherings. And in the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple to find God's presence. Okay? But Jesus died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he removed the barrier of sin. And now, as a result, the Bible says the temple of the Holy Spirit is us lot, Co collectively. So yes, we gather here, and God's presence is here, but also individually. We don't need to get people to come to a gathering to experience God's presence, although that would be a good thing if they did. Somehow we've got to work out what does it mean in my everyday life for me as a temple of the Holy Spirit to be someone who people encounter Jesus through. And that sounds very challenging. For some of us who might be saying, I think, gosh, if you knew me, you'd think that was impossible. But, you know, because we are all human, aren't we? But actually, that's a challenge. What does it mean to let God's Spirit flow into and through me so that people can see Jesus in me? Perhaps it's time to try something new, to cast our nets on the other side. It shouldn't have made a difference, but it did. Actually, coming back to the New Testament, realising our primary calling is to make disciples. Jesus said he would build his church, and yet we spend all our energy building up a church organisation that we sometimes don't have time to intentionally make disciples. Uh, when I was last in local ministry, a lady became a Christian, uh, and largely through the ways I've been sharing today. Um, her parents were housebound, and she couldn't come to church. She couldn't come to anything that we did at the time she did it. And so she became a Christian through the witness of a friend, brilliant, at the school gates. Wonderful. And, and, and Anne came up to me in church one day and said, April's become a Christian. Nothing to do with me as the minister. It was all that. Wonderful. And after several years of my ministry of trying to encourage the church to do this, and they were looking at me like some of you were looking at me, as if to say, no, I don't think you know me very well. And Anne was the sort of person who would say, oh, it's only me. She was a bit ill, if I can use that language, for any of you who know me. And I'm not getting at it, because some of us are just like that, aren't we? And some of us are a bit like Tigger, and if we're like Tigger, we need to calm down. Um, but anyway, but she discovered this amazing ability to be Jesus to the people around her in a very ordinary way. And she became a Christian. She said, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Because she can't come to church. 
She couldn't come to any of our home groups. And because of the nature of the respite care she had, she, there wasn't even like, oh, we'll do home group on a, on a Friday at 3 o'clock in the morning. and that we do it. Her life just wasn't like that. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could structure. So in the end, I said to Anne, what we'll do is you and I will sit down with her once a week at random times, and we will talk to her about Jesus. Okay. What material are we going to use? Are we going to do Alpha? Are we going to do Christianity Explored? What are we going to do? And I said, in a moment of genius, it happens once every 50 or so years, I said, why don't we try the Bible? <laughs> and so we gave April a Bible. And every time we met, we looked at a little, one of the little paragraphs of Mark's Gospel, and we just worked through it. And we started with April. We said, what has what this passage said to you? What did you think this was about? And I learned things from her from that fresh, new Christian perspective. But the thing I find quite heartbreaking about this story is that it was a time in my ministry where I would have said to April, I remember so sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. Because the voice in my head is telling me I need to be busy running a church. And that voice has switched now to a voice in me saying, you need to be busy making disciples. We run churches well, we do all that, we, we should run responsibly, but our primary calling is to make disciples. We need to learn what it is to share good news with the people around us. Not just in churches for the Christians, but learning to talk to people uh, about our Christian faith. Learning to talk to people about what God is doing in our life. Again, a voice in my head told me that evangelism was going to someone and firing a gospel message at them. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that it's okay because Jesus died for you? When he died, he took your sin on the cross. And now you can get to him. You can know God now and forever. And all you have to do is turn away from your way of life and turn to him. So why don't you do that now? That's gospel truth. But if you fire that at someone on its own, in isolation, it's not likely to go so well. Now, I'm not saying you should not share that message with people. What I am saying is that actually the bulk of our evangelistic work just to say to the people around us, this is the way my faith makes a difference to me. So it's talking to your friend who says, I'm so stressed, and you're saying, can I pray for you? Because the Bible says, the peace of God that passes all understanding can guard our hearts. And that's been my experience. I want to pray that it can be yours. Do you see what I mean? You're not firing a random philosophical message at them. And, and the main hindrance, it's interesting about different times, there was a time back in the previous century where you could have said to people, you're a sinner. And then they go, yeah, I'm terrible. <laughs> you try going out to any random stranger in the street and say, you're a sinner, and see what they say to you. It's not the way that this generation thinks. Now, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't tell them that, but it's just not a good starting point. It's not, they're not going to listen to you. And so often when, I'm sure, when people say, what's this Jesus thing, man? I often talk about the fact that we can know God. You can, because people are interested in spiritual things. And they have a very, today's generation has a very, I want to try things out mentality. So I will often talk about prayer. And I won't just say, I'll pray for you and I'll do it for you. I will say, okay, I'll be praying for you, but you ought to try yourself. You, you sort of mean, I wouldn't have said that back in the 1980s. Because it was a different time. But now people are really interested. Well, how does, how does that work for you? How does that work for you? So talking to people about the difference that God has made in your life, and in the same way you do here on a Sunday morning, 
we say, guess what happened to me? Answer the prayer, whatever it is. We need to get good at doing that stuff to the people we meet each day where we can just talk about what, what's going on and what God is doing in our life. And you'll find, once you get the hang of it, it's incredibly natural. I know it doesn't sound that way, but if you can put it in English and not Christianese, because <coughs> people, just think about what some of your friends say about things. People say all sorts of weird things. But because it's just like, yeah, this works for me, oh, it's really interesting. Do you see what I mean? And what, 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 again, today's generation doesn't cope well with I'm right and you're wrong. But they do cope well with you saying, Jared, this works for me. And that grates a bit with us as Christians, because we have Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to heaven, that's a fact. But actually laying that on someone as a, an initial thought is not going to go very well. But saying to people, we believe in a God who's with us always. He's our God. Talk about the game we played this morning. It'd be a brilliant thing to talk to someone about. We were talking about all the voices that confuse us and as Christians. We think that Jesus is with us, guiding us. Do you, do you see what I mean? You're thinking, what is going to be useful to these non-Christians? What is going to make them think, oh, that's really interesting? How do we be the presence of God to people who are never going to come to a church building on a Sunday morning? How do we make disciples of people? How can we learn to do that in different ways? And the key is to, oh, I myself. <coughs> the key is to listen to Jesus, not to get into gimmicks, not to do what the church down the road is doing. Just to be saying to Jesus, what is it we need to do? So we're back to Pastor Dutchie on the left-hand side. This is what I think it could mean. It could mean that I had too much cheese yesterday. I need to acknowledge that. But it could be a Dutchie is a West Indian cooking pot. And Pastor Dutchie on the left-hand side is about people sharing together communally. I've had my bit. You have your bit. Off you go. I'm sure there's someone in the service who says, they had more than I did, but that's not where we don't dwell on that. And I wonder if that's a better picture of what church should be as we pass around and we share. We learn that church, church in our society has become a very consumerist thing. So as a consumer society, the customer is always right. So you have your professional at the front, well, theoretically anyway. You have this person at the front who has expertise, and we treat them like the person who's selling us stuff. And if you don't like it, we can complain at them, don't we? You've done it wrong. No, I don't know. I wasn't satisfied. Your sermon was too long. You didn't pick in the right songs. You didn't give me enough time to pray. You know, we, we, we do this kind of customer thing. And the Lord needs to deliver us from it. And the church, and I don't just mean services, I mean the church broadly, the life of the church, needs to be a lot, but this might become your theme song, you never know, it needs to become more like Pastor Ducky on the left-hand side. Or the right-hand side, it's all good if you want to be like that. But, you know, how do, we, how do we do this together? How do we do this together? How are we going to listen to Jesus? How are we going to make disciples in our everyday life? So as we come towards the end then, several years ago I was walking uh, up in the area, uh, just over towards, um, what's it called? The coast, the watery bit. And uh, as uh, uh, Walton on the Naze, that's it. And as you walk, uh, if you go around the, the point of Walton on the Naze and come inland, this is just inland from there. And my wife and I were going for a walk one day, and it's one of the ways that with children with additional needs, we just find sanity. When the kids are at school, we go for a walk. And so we're walking down this path, we park the car, we walk the mile up to the coast, and we're walking along, we come to this. 
and it's actually deeper than it looks. It was about knee deep, and, and it's most deep on. And so I got to the point, and I did what any brave, heroic, macho, masculine man would do. Uh, I got the map out, and decided, and you can tell it was actually several years ago now, because I had a paper map, which again I wouldn't have now, it's all on my phone. Uh, I got this paper, and I, I'm working out how to get round. I'm not wading through that water, I don't like the look of it. There could be sharks in there, well, there probably are, but you don't know what you're going to step on, I'm a bit squeamish. So I'm doing this, I look at the map, and I turned around to my wife and said, don't worry, I found the way around. You know where she was, don't you? Most of the way across. And she'd taken her shoes off, she'd rolled her trouser legs up, she got her boots hanging around her neck, and there she goes across. And just to prove that I'm not still standing on the other side, there's me wading through there, and that was me coming out of the other side, more or less. And as we were walking around further on, uh, my wife was telling me about her Bible reading notes that day, and this was the phrase from her Bible reading notes. Don't ask God to direct your steps unless you're willing to move your feet. We, we had our map, we had our destination, we knew where we were going, it was all planned. But then there was something I didn't like. There was something that made me uncomfortable. And I wonder if the same is true with God. There are times where we know what God wants us to do. I'm talking about how do we learn to share our faith honestly and openly with people around us. And I know that many, some of you, all of you, I don't know, are sitting there thinking I don't like that. I do like that because I want my friends to know about Jesus. But I want someone else to tell them. That's probably what many of us are thinking. And that's a very normal reaction. That's okay. But actually, we need to realise that it's God's intention that we are the people. I'm never going to meet your friends. I can't tell them about Jesus. But there can be something that you do about sharing the way God is real in your everyday life that can make such a difference. I'll be willing to do something differently. Sometimes churches surprise me. I met with a church recently and they said to us, Brian, this is going to be the last time you're going to be with us on a Sunday morning. It wasn't recently, it was about a year or two ago. I thought my sermon wasn't that bad. So. <laughs> And they said, no, it's not that. We're moving to a Sunday afternoon. Because that's just what we feel God is telling us to do. Because all of our children play football on Sunday morning. And it makes things very stressful for their families. So we've had a church meeting and we prayed about it. And we're moving the service to a Sunday afternoon. Now, I don't share that with you to say you ought to do that. I just share that. That was their discernment. That's what they felt right for us. And what's astonishing about that church is they only have two families. They weren't doing it for these massive people. And actually, most church meetings would say there's only like one or two of them. Let's not bother. Let's make it convenient for us. But that was their discernment. Or another church that was out a minister. And they called me over as the regional minister and said, well, we want a new minister. We'll come and talk to us about it. And I talked to them about what was God was doing in their life of their fellowship. And they had maybe 10 people on a Sunday morning. But when they ran Messy Church, they had 60 or 70 people saying, and do you know what I said to them? I said, you know, I think you need to think about where God is blessing your life and your ministry and invest in that. And what I think you need is a community family worker who can make disciples. Because you're doing this church service pretty well yourself. And so I shared that and I said, let's think about it, which I felt was code for don't be stupid, you are a minister. Because <laughs> that's what normal churches do. Wake or two later, they called me up and they said, we want a community family, well they didn't use the word box actually, that'd be a lie. We're going to get a youth and families worker 
and God has blessed that to the point that they've had that and they've now got their wish and now three or four years down the line they've got a part-time minister too because the church has grown and things have begun to happen. But it all came from churches just stopping and thinking instead of doing what we've always done, what does it mean to cast our nets on the other side, to do something different? As we think about how we obey God, we like to outsource, don't we? Uh, if I have an electrical problem in my house, I need to outsource that. It's no good me kind of unscrewing some wiring and pulling it apart and hoping for the best. That's not good. We need expertise. I'm going to be spending the afternoon this morning cleaning my house. I've got an estate agent coming tomorrow, or cleaning the EDA's house anyway. It's on my house. Um, I could outsource that, but actually we're all capable of cleaning the house, aren't we? And when it comes to church, I think our temptation has been to outsource, to pass on to someone else the things that we should all be mucking in together as we pass the spiritual duchy on the left-hand side. And so my final question to you is, are you willing to move? Do you feel like Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit in his hole, and the dwarves come to him and say, we're going on a treasure hunt? And he's like, treasure, I love treasure. Treasure is great, I'm coming to get treasure. And then they say, oh, there's a dragon. He's not so keen on the dragon. He could die. He likes the treasure, but he's afraid. But he takes a risk. He steps out. He does something different. Well, perhaps this picture of the person on a tightrope, I can't even look at it. So I'm glad that screen's really tiny. And I look at this person. It looks like they're in immense danger, doesn't it? But actually, you can see, you can see, actually, on this amazing screen, Behind their right knee, you can see the tether. They're tethered to that line. Nothing is going to happen by which this person is going to die. They could lose their balance and fall, but they're safe. Do they look safe? <laughs> and that, my friends, is a picture of following Jesus. There are times when we feel like we're out there, we've stepped down in faith, but there is never a time when Jesus lets go of us. We, we feel like we're, we're in danger, we feel like we're out of there, we feel like we're out of our death, but there's never a time when Jesus lets us go. And if we learn to follow his map, which is in here, we learn to unlearn some of the things we think are true about what church life has to be like. We learn what it is to make disciples and make that our priority, to be saying to Jesus, show us what you want and we'll do it. So God, I pray that you'd help us. As we continue to reflect on your calling, would you help us to continue to become the people that you're calling us to be? Amen. Amen.